A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Hear me, O coastlands. Listen, O distant, distant peoples. The Lord called me from birth. From my mother's womb, he gave me my name. He made of me a sharp-edged sword and concealed in me the shadow of his arm. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me. You are my servant, he said to me, Israel, through whom I show my glory. Though I thought I had toiled in vain and for nothing uselessly spent my strength, yet my reward is with the Lord, my recompense is with my God. For now the Lord has spoken, who formed me and his servant from the womb, that Jacob may be brought back to him and Israel gathered to him. And I, and I am made glorious in the sight of the Lord, and my God is now my strength. It is too little, he says, for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel. I will make you a light of the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The word of the Lord.
A reading from the Acts of the, of the Apostles. In those days, Paul said, God raised up David as king. Of him, God testified. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will carry out my very every wish. From this man's descendants, God, according to his promise, has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. John heralded his coming by proclaiming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was completing his course, he, could, he would say, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. Behold, one is coming after me. I am not worthy to unfasten the sandals of his feet. My brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those others among you who are God-fearing, to us this word of salvation has been sent. The word of the Lord. child she gave birth to a son her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy toward her and they rejoiced with her when they came on the eighth day to circumcise the child they were going to call him Zechariah after his father but his mother said in reply, No, he will be called John. But they answered her, There is no one among your relatives who has this name. So they made signs, asking his father what he wished him to be called. He asked for a tablet and wrote, John is his name. And all were amazed. 
Immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue freed, and he spoke blessing God. Then fear came upon all their neighbors, and all these matters were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard these things took them to heart, saying, What then will this child be? For surely the hand of the Lord was with him. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the desert until the day of his manifestation to Israel. Verbum Domini. Before time began, the Lord had the plan for John the Baptist to be the forerunner of the Lord. The forerunner is the one who gets others ready before the actual arrival of a great person. In this case, the greatest person in the universe of all time to come, the first coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And John's way of preparing the people is through the uh, baptism of repentance. He was getting the people to repent before the Son of God made flesh arrive in their scene and in their time. Like Isaiah prophesied, the Lord called John the Baptist from birth. From his mother's womb, the Lord gave him his name. God formed John as his servant from the womb of his mother. And John the Baptist had the exalted role of being forerunner of the Lord yet he's truly one of the humblest servants of the Lord. What you suppose me to be, I'm not. One is coming after me. I'm not worthy to unfasten the sandals of his feet. Unfastening someone's sandals from his feet is one of the slave's roles in a household during the ancient time period. So here John is saying that he's not even worthy to be the Lord's slave. Yet God wills that he is the one who heralded Christ's coming through the baptism of repentance. Late last night and this morning, I fondly remembered my visit to the Holy Land and specifically to the birthplace of John the Baptist. I was blessed to lead 
a pilgrimage group there and had mass for the group at the altar that specifically commemorates the birth of John the Baptist. It was inside a church. It was on the left side of the main altar and there's another altar you kind of have to go down and it's very small. It allows only small group of people can go there and can have a mass with the priests. It's like a, it's like a cave-like setting sort of. And the, mo the most memorable scene that I can still see in my mind, first time I went there was this marble beneath the altar where I was going to offer mass. There's this marble and then there's the traditional five uh, crosses that wherever you go in the Holy Land you see a lot of and um, anyway there's that mark and then around that mark it said in Latin hic precursor domini natus est here the precursor of the Lord is born I remember that was a very moving moment when I saw that and still kind of got a hold of me at this time. Um, very moving, very emotional. And again, right there, the altar that commemorates his birth. And like the John the Baptist, before you and I were born, God already had a plan in his awesome divine mind for each of us. The plan to be not only men and women of faith, but to be his true children. To be his true children through our own sacramental baptism in Christ Jesus. Like John the Baptist, you and I are similarly called to be those who prepare others for the coming of Christ. Of course, in order to do that, we have to prepare ourselves for his coming to us because we can't give what we don't have. But we are called to be those who prepare others for the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, his coming in Holy Communion, his coming in people's lives who never heard of Jesus or who have heard him and have gone astray Yet the Lord wills to call them back through us, however ways, however great, however small he wills to use us. And he does use us, every single one of us. And that's a huge, awesome role and responsibility. And what great humility, what great humility we all need to foster because otherwise it'll be so easy to get into our heads how great we are, like John the Baptist, that none of us are really worthy to unfasten the Lord's sandals of his sacred feet. So how important it is to foster humility of heart. You know, this is one of the, I just remember it right now, just um, one of the points that 
Mother Angelica, our foundress, wrote to the friars in our letter, you know, great work to try to seek the lost sheep and to bring them back and to bring the stray back and so forth. Yet it's God's work. She would remind us in the letter, it's God's work. He's the one who's doing the work. We're simply his instrument. So foster humility of heart. And I can't help but think that John the Baptist is particularly every priest's model to follow and imitate, especially his humility, especially his courage and his bold preaching of the truth, not afraid of losing one's head while doing it, especially in pointing others to the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Pope Benedict once quoted uh, Venerable Beats homilies during his general audience on uh, John the Baptist. He said, in the ninth century, the Venerable Beat says in one of his homilies, quote, St. John gave his life for Christ. He was not ordered to deny Jesus Christ, but was ordered to keep silent about the truth. He was ordered to keep silent about the truth. And then Pope Benedict said, John the Baptist did not keep silent about the truth and thus died for Christ, who is the truth. Precisely for love of the truth, he did not stoop to compromises and did not fear to address strong words to anyone who had strayed from God's path. You know, in our time, in our very time, this time we're living in, the truth of the real presence is in danger. Most Catholics, most Catholics no longer believe that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is really and truly present in the Eucharist. Most Catholics. Two-third, to be specific. Two-third of the Catholics no longer believe in the real presence of our Lord in the Eucharist, the Lamb of God, the true Lamb of God, who John pointed to the people in his time. Why do so many Catholics no longer believe in the Eucharist? What's the problem? What, where's the initial point of the crisis? Listen to this. This is, this is the Lord's words, private words, yes. You could take it or leave it. You don't have to believe it. But it's tangibly, uh, concretely real. This is the Lord's private words to a Benedictine priest, Benedictine monk, in the book Encino Jesu. The Lord tells the priest, the Lord tells all of us, specifically to priests, 
He said, I want also that you should speak to them of my solitude in the tabernacle. Certain sophisticated minds will laugh at this. Sophisticated minds referring to those who are so intelligent, high, fluent, intelligent, gifted with all kind of gifts, but their faith in our Lord is somewhere else. Certain sophisticated minds will laugh at this. They forget that I'm not there like some inanimate, inanimate object. It is my heart that waits for you in the tabernacle. It is my gaze that full of tenderness fixes itself from the tabernacle on those who draw near to it. I'm not there for my own sake. I am there to feed you and to fill you with the joys of my presence. I am he who understands every man's loneliness, especially the loneliness of my priests. I want to share their loneliness so that they will not be alone with themselves, but alone with me. There I shall speak to their hearts as I am speaking to you. I am ablaze to be for each one of my priests, the friend whom they seek, the friend with whom they can share everything, the friend to whom they can tell everything, the friend who will weep over their sins without for a moment ceasing to love them. It is in the Eucharist that I wait for them as physician and as remedy. If they are sick in their body or in their soul, let them seek me out, and I will heal them of the evil that afflicts them. And, and here it is, right here, listen. Many priests do not have a real and practical faith in my Eucharistic presence. Do they not know that the Eucharist encloses within itself all the merits of my passion? Let them recover the faith of their childhood. Let them come to find me there where I am waiting for them and I, for my part, shall work miracles of grace and holiness in them. Do we wonder why? Do we wonder why two-thirds of Catholics no longer believe in the Eucharist? A friend of mine who's a priest in the East Coast somewhere shared with me recently that he was preaching um, on Corpus Christi Sunday. People were there, obviously, his congregation, and he specifically have holy hour for them in the afternoon. And he said only one people showed up. Only one people showed up in the holy hour just like the one people who showed up at the Divine Mercy Holy Hour that he offered for the people. 
made it available for the people. Only one people, person. Again, do we wonder why two-thirds of Catholics no longer believe in the Eucharist? Because we priests lack faith in our dearest Eucharistic Lord. Some of these priests have become bishops. And I'm not judging any bishops or any priests about the quality of their faith. I don't know. Only God knows each and every one of our hearts, every one of our minds, every one of our state of our souls. God knows. I'm just simply sharing what I just read sometimes last week or two weeks ago. Many priests lack faith in the Eucharistic presence of our Lord. God have mercy on us. Pray for your priests. Pray for your priests. When your priests lack faith in the Eucharistic presence of our Lord, his very existence is in very deep, deep trouble. This is the life of the priest, the Eucharist. He brings the Eucharist down to the altar. He feeds God's people with the Eucharistic Lord, and he provides those dying the last food for the journey before leaving earth so that they can be with the Lamb of God seated on the right hand of the Father in his house. He is to be the guardian. The priest is to be the guardian and protector of the Eucharist. He is to be he is to defend the Lord. He is to be the big promoter of the Lord's presence in the Eucharist. If that's not there in our priestly hearts, it's like our salt is about to get flat. You've heard what the Lord said. When the salt is flat, you can't. It's just used up for be thrown away. I know I'm a bit off-tangent this morning, but I don't really care. This is important to realize the importance of the Eucharist. And you, dear people, you're blessed to have access to this wonderful shrine. The sisters grant this opportunity for all of us to come here from morning to, to evening or whatever the time close. I forgot what the schedule is. But regardless, you're, you have access to this. Don't forget about it. Don't take for granted what you've been given. I know, I know some of you are very dedicated to adoration. Thanks for your presence. You, you witness to us here. And this is important. This is what makes us different. This is what makes us unique. This is what makes us very special Catholics because we have God. We have our Lord in the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the Lamb of God. This is what I point out to you every day. This is what every priest point out every day. Like John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we ask John the Baptist, 
to help us to be courageous, to be courageous in speaking the truth, to share the truth, and to specifically be promoter and defender and lover of the Eucharist. John the Baptist, pray for us. John the Baptist, pray for us. John the Baptist, pray for us.